be imitators of me as I am of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. That's a pretty tough challenge, I think, from the Apostle Paul. And it comes at the conclusion of what appears to be a laundry list of questions that the believers in Corinth had been wrestling with. Questions and issues and problems that were threatening to split this church in two. And if we want to pick the issue that seems to be closest in context to this challenge from Paul, then we would pick the issue which has been formed in the question of, can I eat food that has been offered to idols? probably seems a little odd to us that that question was threatening to split this church in Corinth. But it actually was an everyday issue for these first century Christians that they had to deal with in the city of Corinth, which was a bustling metropolis in the first century. I think it helps to maybe get a little bit of the lay of the land when talking about this, primarily because I think you need to see that Corinth was not what you and I would think of as a Christian city. It was uh, far from it, actually. The city itself was located on a piece of land that was called the Peloponnese Isthmus. It's a geographical term for a piece of land that works really like a land bridge. To the north of this isthmus, this land bridge, was the area called Northern Greece, which contained places like the ancient Thebes and Athens. Below, to the south of the land bridge, was Southern Greece with that famous city of Sparta. And if you were a sea traveler coming from, say, Ephesus in the east to Rome in the west, well, it was far safer and better for you to stop in Corinth put your boat on the land and drag it the short distance of 10 miles across the land bridge and then jump back in the water. It's far safer to do that than it was to sail around the dangerous rough seas of southern Greece because you might not make the journey. As you can clearly see, this city was like a strategic place on the map. And strategic places tend to get a lot of attention. Such was the case when Rome rose to power. History tells us that the old Corinth had been destroyed by the Roman army under the general Lucius Mummius in 146 BC, but Rome would not let this strategic city go to waste and lie in ruins, and so they rebuilt the city a hundred years later at the request of the famous emperor Julius Caesar. Rome didn't just send Romans in to rebuild cities. They had a peculiar strategy. They sent all kinds of people. They would have sent Romans. They would have sent Egyptians. They would have sent Greeks. They would have sent Mediterraneans. They would have sent even Jews. Of course, they all bring their respective religious systems with them too. And so literally in Corinth, what I'm trying to get you to see is that you have kind of a cultural and religious epicenter that has all kinds of the world flavors of the first century world. Here's the point I'm trying to get you to with this little history lesson. Worshiping idols or eating meat that was offered to idols was a part of life that was deeply interwoven into the fabric of the city of Corinth. 
So much so that when you went to buy meat at the street market, you may be eating what was not used in the morning sacrifice at such and such temple around the corner on First Avenue. So, from a Christian perspective, is it sinful for you to eat that? Do you have a right to eat that? Or should you abstain and stay away from it? What about if a friend invites you over for dinner? Was the meat you were eating there the leftover sacrifice to idols from earlier in the morning? Should you refuse to eat it at the risk of offending your friend? Or is it okay to eat it because you know that idols are fake pieces of wood and stone and nothing but inanimate objects who have no power, life, or anything? Doesn't your knowledge of the truth give you freedom to eat whatever you want? Why should you have to only eat green beans at dinner if you don't even believe in the idol? You can quickly see how such questions probably stirred up both legitimate scenarios and arguments, along with some likely very heated discussions among the leaders as to what the solution could be. That's all in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 mingled into chapter 9 and with this background in mind we begin to look at our passage 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 31 through 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 1. Let me read this to you. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Let me point out just a few observations that I think will help us think rightly about this text. First, Paul invites the Corinthians to not live for themselves, which is the entire argument of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, by the way. To not live for themselves, but ultimately to live for the glory of God, even when it comes to the most basic mundane things of life, such as eating or drinking. And we know why that was such an issue, because of our contextual study of food being offered to idols. Gives a little bit more clarity to what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Secondly, I think Paul in verses 32 through 33 is thinking out the practical application of living in a way that is focused on the glory of God. That is, to put it in a very simple format, to live in a way that demonstrates that God is awesome, God is great, God is supreme in all things in your life. Lastly, which points us to the verse that we begin with, in this episode, Paul's challenge to the Corinthians to imitate Paul. The Greek word here for imitate gives this idea of mimicking, or we might think of it this way, as an actor mimics the personality, the accent, and whatever else is needed to accurately reflect the truth of the character they are representing. And then Paul ends the verse by pointing to Jesus. Mimic me as I mimic Christ. Paul's challenge to 
and answer to all those questions of the Corinthians is to live their lives in a way that accurately represents the truth of Jesus. And that's a pretty good picture of what the New Testament collectively invites you to do as a follower of Jesus, to look like Jesus in whatever you do, even in the basic mundane things of life. Have a great week. I'll talk with you next time. Blessings.